Today marks exactly one year since the first COVID-19 case was confirmed in South Africa. And just three weeks later, President Cyril Ramaphosa would hold our very first family meeting. The National Coronavirus Command Council has decided to enforce a nationwide lockdown for 21 days with effect from midnight on Thursday the 26th of March. Since that day, a full year ago, there have been 1,517,666 confirmed cases of COVID-19 and 50,462 COVID-19-related deaths countrywide. South Africa breached the 1 million cases mark on December the 27th of 2020. Just a day earlier, the country entered the top 20 list of countries with the highest infection rates. South Africa has remained on that list ever since. In this episode of Boots on the Ground, behind South Africa's biggest headlines, we're going to relive some of the most memorable moments from the pandemic. Moments we ought not forget as we continue to wage a war against this pandemic. This short podcast series follows Sunday Times reporter Alex Patrick and senior reporter Graham Hoskin as they track, record and reflect on the real events and people that make up South Africa's biggest news stories. For Boots on the Ground, behind South Africa's national headlines, I am Paige Muller. Just last night, on the eve of the anniversary of COVID-19 landing on our shores, COVID-19 was named the Newsmaker of the Year for 2020. And it's little wonder why. No story dominated the news as much as COVID-19 did. From the day that the minister announced the very first case, to the president addressing the nation about the lockdown in what we now call family meetings. It's almost hard not to hear about the pandemic. And it has been that way ever since our very first night in lockdown. Despite the lockdown having commenced, the streets of Hillbrow and Alex were still very much alive. It's 12 o'clock and we're following a convoy into Hillbrow. You can kind of smell the alcohol in the air. And things are getting a little bit busier. Um, but yeah, it doesn't look like anybody's keeping any kind of social distancing here. These guys are drunk now. Yeah, we want them drunk. From, to, from today, there's no alcohol yeah. sold <laughs> until this time to that time. Because they told, they told them that they're not going to buy alcohol, so they are drinking for that 21 days. <laughs> you can drink for 21 days for a day. Yeah. Just, 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 just imagine, guy, uh, you, you're drinking for today the whole day. Yeah. Just to, to recover that 21 days. Yeah. You see, it's, it's, it's impossible. When it reaches 12 o'clock, I'm going to go outside. I want to see who's, who's going there, who's, who's, who's following the lockdown. Yeah. Hey. So fresh, you think there's, there's, there's no military coming here? Huh? I'm, wa- I'm waiting for that. We're waiting for that. I'm waiting for that here. Even ourselves, we're waiting for that. Why are you waiting for that? No, I want to see. Want I want to, to see, prove that. You want to see that lockdown? I, I, I want to prove that. Do you know how many people are there? 
They are still waiting for the lockdown. They want to prove that. But the South African National Defence Force seemed far less amused as they pulled over cars, shut shabines, and chased late night party goers into residences. They're selling alcohol. Hey, where's the key? They're in Yeovil, in a spaza shop. Some foreigners who were staying in the spaza shop are now being pretty much strip searched. They found alcohol in a packet and claim that it is being sold. I'm not sure if it's personal stash or not. I'm okay. Were you staying in here? Yeah, this is where we stay. We where, place you stay. don't have a place. Where yeah. are you from, sir? I'm an Nigerian. Do you know what's happening here with the lockdown? Oh, we had. That's why we we don't have a place. So we normally stay here. Yeah. And, sleep. and uh, they're saying that you guys were selling alcohol. It's the personal alcohol we are drinking. And how how long have you been staying here for? I've been here for a year. And, and living here, hey? Yeah. And what do you do for a living? What do you do for money? No, we don't do anything. Huh? We just has on the streets. Police are busy searching him out his vehicle as he, he was trying to speed off when they stopped him on the corner of a street in Hillbrow just moments after the start of the national lockdown. The guy has been apologizing saying that he should have been home earlier but police are not buying it. They're searching his car thoroughly looking for weapons, drugs and any other contraband which has been prohibited under the national lockdown. So ma'am, what's going to happen now? Are you going to, given that nobody's allowed out in the streets, is he going to be arrested or is he going to be let off on a, on a first warning? What's the procedures? On a first warning? Okay. He's like, go the evening came to a heed when community members threw stones and various other objects at the JMPD vehicles. While the interchange was brief, it was also very tense for our reporters. And we're on the run. Somebody threw a stone at the police car. Citizens of Hillbra have started stoning the police along with SNDF. Police are now cordoning off a block of flats as residents start whistling to each other, warning them of the approaching authorities. Alex and Graham assure us that no one was hurt during the exchange, but several arrests were made in Hillbrow on this night. South Africa's introduction into lockdown level 5 was not an easy one. It was confusing. 
all of a sudden the laws of the land had changed completely. Lockdown level 5 saw the closing of businesses, the emptying of streets, the rehousing of the homeless and even the shutting down of our national borders. But for many of our African neighbours, South Africa is a lifeline to resources. So it was not surprising when the shutting down of borders resulted in a spike of border jumping. While President Ramaphosa showed sensitivity to the plight of South Africans, he could not extend the same sympathy to our northern neighbours in Zimbabwe. We cannot take action today that we will deeply regret tomorrow. We must avoid a rushed reopening that could risk a spread which would need to be followed by another hard lockdown. Our borders will remain closed to international travel except for the repatriation of South African nationals and foreign citizens. Graham spent week four of SA's lockdown at the Bay Bridge border post, which separates South Africa from Zimbabwe. Within days of President Cyril Ramaphosa announcing the national lockdown, Public Works and Infrastructure Minister Patricia De Lille revealed that a high security fence would be erected around the Bait Bridge border post at a cost of 37 million rand. It was not long afterwards that reports began to emerge of the fence being breached as smugglers brought people and contraband into the country and helped thousands of starving Zimbabweans to gain access to food at shops in the nearby town of Messina. As reports of the widespread breach continued to mount, I decided to investigate the situation on the ground. So, uh, I'm Mr. Eight. Um, we're standing here on the border uh, between South Africa and Zimbabwe, um, just getting ready to go out and patrol one of the night patrols along the border. Um, so, from about here onwards, we're patrolling for oh, probably about five, fifteen kilometres. Um, and the guys that we're patrolling with are anti-poaching units um, as, long as, as well as farmers from the area and they're looking for border crosses. Since the closing of the border there's been a huge spike in the number of people illegally crossing into the country um, from Zimbabwe where their food crisis is, is far worse than what it is here in South Africa. And with the shutting of the border, there's been a been a massive increase. Um, we're hearing reports of starvation, as has been happening here in South Africa. And the guys are then coming across illegally, cutting through fences. Um, this evening on the way to where we are now, we saw a whole lot of guys who were arrested by Defence Force. Um, when we were en route out, we saw uh, guys crossing literally 300 metres in front of us that just cut the fence. So you, you were saying now about the, the hunger and the motivation. So yeah, so you won't convince me that helping someone who's hungry, that I'm doing a bad thing, no matter what no matter what we do to help these guys. Mm. Not that we, we're helping them, but I'm not going to obstruct them. Mm. Do you think it would just be because and they would it would lead to further problems? Exactly, yeah, it will lead to further problems. What, what kind of problems do you think? Like mass immigration. People coming in masses and not just smuggling food, I mean coming in yeah. because there is nothing on that side. Yeah. That's that's one of the main problems which I see in the, the coming future. There's a lot of people coming in because there is literally nothing. And and when that starts to happen when it's what what you're gonna do? What would you do? Yeah. What are, what are people bringing across and what are people taking back to Zimbabwe? The thing that they are taking to Zimbabwe is the groceries. Cooking oil. 
washing powders. I'm, I'm sure the, the groceries, only the groceries. Okay. And how expensive is the food in, in Zimbabwe and compared to here in South Africa? Yeah, just understand the food in Zimbabwe is very uh, expensive because I had one of my colleagues here saying now the 50 kg meal meal is costing about 500 rands for 50 kg. But the main crisis is now, if your neighbor is starving, you're not going to sleep. You're going to have to stay awake 24-7. Otherwise, you'll... Because he's starving, his family is starving, he'll go to extremes to try and just feed his family. Today, South Africa has Africa's highest number of COVID-19 cases and deaths, far outstripping the likes of Egypt, Tunisia and Morocco. But our northern neighbours were willing to risk infection to cross the border for supplies. Meanwhile, across the world, South Africans were experiencing varied intensities of lockdown. By April of 2020, most of the world had implemented some form of restrictions to try and curb the COVID-19 infections. My name is Matthew Hendrick Diago. I'm currently in the United Kingdom in Liverpool. What worries me the most, um, older people getting sick and losing my job because of this would probably worry me the most. My name is Samantha Mould. I'm living in Wales in the United Kingdom. Financially, I think that's the biggest concern that I have is how long will organisations and companies be able to pay us salaries if there's no income coming in. Janice Saudi. I am in Bangkok. What worries me the most <laughs> is that I'm on a, a one-month visa and I'm going to have to extend it in about two weeks time but after that extension I'm not sure what's going to happen. I'm currently living in the Netherlands. I think nobody really has a clue of how, how big it could become. I'm living very close now to Italy, Spain and France where um, they've They've gotten hit pretty hard by this whole coronavirus um, and I'm sort of scared that um, this will also happen here. My name is Abida Pandor. I am in Saudi Arabia. What worries me the most is if it continues. At some point we want this to end. We want life to go back to normal. We want to be able to go back to our families. My name is Carla Jane Wood and I currently live in Milwaukee, Wisconsin in the United States. I worry for my family in South Africa. Fear also hit closer to home as people in South Africa began to lose their income and were concerned for their livelihoods. Desperation became the order of the day and our reporters noticed it and were not exempt from the anxiety. A lot of what's kind of on my mind is like the 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 kind of human impact of everything and I mean I'm, mm -hmm. I'm also I'm doing 5am wake ups and then um, you know like one o'clock bedtime and um, just feeling really really kind of it's almost like a depression that yeah. kind of sinks in. Um, I've been thinking about, uh, you know, a lot of my friends have lost jobs and uh, a lot of, you know, uh, with a lot of pay pay cuts, yeah. um, a lot of retrenchments. And yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I've just been, um, and then also you go out onto the field and you're seeing people even in like even worse positions than you. Mm. On um, when was it Thursday? I was uh, I was in Elias Mosseledi again, and yeah. um, uh, also you know doing a story on the Sasa grants and and um, how how people now have to wait six more days um, and people were showing mm. the inside of their cupboards and their fridges and I mean there's nothing. You know, mm. one woman has like two cups of maize meal for seven family members, and that's yeah. going to have to last for six days. You know? No, it's not. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, mean, I was so, so for me it was like it's look, it's survivability. Yeah. Mm. That's that's what it is for for me. I mean, it's like just how the hell do people survive? I, I have no idea. You know, I'm feeling a little bit like spooked mm. in that. Yeah. You know, and just I haven't been feeling well, but I mean, it's not. I know it's not anything serious, but I mean, yeah. things start, you know, going through your mind, and you start exactly. like, what if? You know, and then I've like also just been feeling like this massive sense of guilt. Really. Yeah, it's just like this, this, like, you know, I don't know, I was sitting to somebody and say, oh, maybe it's survivor's guilt. And I'm like, mm. well, survivor's guilt is like when you have, when you die. Yeah. Also, you know, you're in like a near-death experience. But they were saying, yeah, but you, you could very well have survivor's guilt because you see people mm. who don't have anything. I think it is, yeah. I think it is survivor's guilt. And uh, I've... You know, myself, I've, I've been very weepy, you know. Yeah. Coming back from, from especially the townships. Yeah, so, I mean, I was, when I was up on the border, and you see people's desperation. I mean, you can really, really see it. Like you say, you go, go to the, the townships and informal sectors, and you see people's desperation. And then you come home, mm. and it's like you're warm, you're safe, you can mm. cook a meal, you know. And it's like... And I'm just like, fuck yourself at you. Yeah, it's like, stop being such a selfish twat. Yeah. Countless South Africans were also dealing with the devastating loss of loved ones. South Africans from around the world were confused, and dare we say, the people responsible for enforcing the lockdown were also confused. While recapping the first year of COVID-19 in South Africa, it is important to remember how far we've come, but it is also important to recall the worst of our hardship and how we handled it. Hardships like the unnecessary death of Collins Corsa. On the 10th of April, at around 5 o'clock in the evening, Collins Corsa and his brother-in-law, Tabi Sumbango, sat in the yard of their home in Alexandra. They were sitting in lawn chairs quietly enjoying a drink when soldiers entered their street. Graham and Alex now stand with Tabiso on the same street as he tells us what happened next. Tabiso refers to Collins as the deceased, seemingly trying to put an emotional barrier between himself and the event. Uh, a lady came running to the yard. She said, there are soldiers outside. Uh, we made jokes about it. Uh, you're lying because we're very far from the gate. I went out to investigate whether she was telling the truth or not. So I, as I was approaching the gate with, with my neighbor, the lady who came running, that is when the, 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 the female soldier noticed me. 
Uh, earlier on, the deceased and I were, I can't say, we were having some few drinks. Uh, so there was an unattended camp chair outside. She saw the, the, the camp chair. She asked me, have you been drinking? To which I said, yes, I've been drinking. She said to me, you know, the president stated clearly that you guys must not drink alcohol. To which I said to her, I don't remember the president saying we must not drink alcohol. What I know is that there has been a temporary ban on alcohol. But the consumption of alcohol is still allowed provided you're inside your yard or premises, of which this is what is happening right now. Hence, by that time, I was not drinking. It was just an unattended camp chair with a glass of alcohol. On the 10th of April, SA was under lockdown level 5. According to level 5 restrictions, the purchasing and public consumption of alcohol was prohibited. But many households had purchased liquor prior to the lockdown and were consuming it on their personal properties, as was the case here, according to Tavis. It sounded like a misunderstanding of the law because the, from all accounts, the woman said, you know, you know you're not allowed to be drinking during lockdown which wasn't the case. No, not at all. I mean, nobody said you can't be drinking, but it points to, for me, the military command council and the command, you know, what, what instructions were given? What what were the soldiers told they can or can't do? Absolutely. In terms of enforcing the regulations, were they briefed? Were they, the soldiers, actually briefed yeah. on what is legal and what is illegal? Well, I mean, it sounds like it sounds like that there was no connection there. If Tabiso's account is to be believed, there was no reason for the SANDF officer to be on Koza's property to begin with. But apparently unsatisfied with Tabiso's reply, the officer elected to escalate the situation. That is when she said, OK, you think you're smart. Today we are going to prove a point to you. She said to me, I want the alcohol that you have in the house. I said, no, cool, it's fine, let's go. Fortunately, I had one beer in the fridge. Uh, can you imagine, one beer in the fridge? Then as I proceeded to give her the beer, she said to me, again, you think you're smart. The alcohol that you're giving me now is not the same as the alcohol that is outside. There must be somebody that you were drinking with, of which that is when the deceased, he said to, to the lady, I was the one who was drinking, sister. But as you can see right now, I'm busy eating. She said, no. I, even you, I want your alcohol. Please bring your alcohol. We cooperated. That's when we, 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 he took one beer also from his fridge and a, a bucket of stout. We were instructed, but then she was uh, joined in by another uh, uh, SNDF female officer also. Uh, the one was holding, the, the one who was there initially, she, she had a rifle. The other one had a shambok. So the one with the shambok, she took over everything. She said to the other one, no, let's take these guys to the streets. We, we need to, 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 to sort them out. Before we went out, they had an argument with the deceased wife and my wife. They were asking them, but now, how can you take alcohol in the yard? And you're saying they must go to the street with that alcohol, of which they never listened to them. So we went to the streets. As we approached the street, she said, I'm going to call back up for you guys. Uh, but before then, something happened. The, 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 one of the female soldiers slammed the gate against the deceased car, of which the deceased said, but 
you guys are damaging my car. He was told that uh, you think this is a car. We, we, we know cars, we have cars. You're not the only one who's got a car. To which he said to me, he said to her, uh, uh, but you are disrespecting me. You are damaging my property, and when I, 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 I protest, you are saying, you are saying whatever you are saying right now. So she proceeded to call the breakup. Uh, the breakup arrived soon after that. But before it arrived, I cautioned one of them to say, you are calling this breakup now on us. Those guys will come here, find the two beers on the street, two gentlemen standing here, it will give them a wrong impression that you got out in the street drinking, and of which is wrong. So that is when she said, no, you guys, I want to prove a point to you. That is when the backup arrived. When they arrived, it was a convoy consisting of JMPD officers and the SNDF uh, 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 soldiers. So as soon as they arrived, only the SNDF members approached us. They approached us, they went straight to the lady who called uh, the backup. That, when she, that is when she, she briefed them. After being briefed, they divided themselves among us. I'm not quite sure how many went to him. Uh, I can just estimate four or five went to him. One initially came to me. That is when he started assaulting me. But as he was busy assaulting me, I was busy trying to tell him whatever situation or a scene you see now is not as it is. You are being misled. They did not find us in the streets drinking alcohol. They found us in the yard. The young man did not listen to me, started slapping me. I could see by hindsight that the deceased was also being assaulted. They were being assaulted simultaneously at the same time. So that is when I said to the young man, no, you cannot assault me like that. If I have contravened any of the regulations, please arrest me. It's better you arrest me than to just assault me for no reason because I do not see any contravention that I've broken, any regulation that I've, 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 I've contravened. Then he started pushing me towards the SNDF uh, and the, uh, what do you call it, JMPD, uh, uh, I can say it's a quantum, in Pendu. So as I was approaching it, two JMPD officers, they are he, he, he pushed me halfway to the quantum, so as I was approaching, I was, I, 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 two gentlemen came to, to, to my direction, JMPD. Uh, they said to me, what's wrong? I told them the story of what is happening, the real story. Then they said to me, no, even if we arrest you, what are, you, what are we going to charge you with? The best you can do right now is to just go back to the yard. I said, but I was in the yard, and I'm not even, I, I, I'm not disputing the fact that I must be in the yard, I was in the yard. I was taken outside uh, by, by these uh, officers. Mind you, this incident is being uh, witnessed by the whole community. You can imagine the embarrassment I felt as they were busy doing that. The men are now both being beaten on their streets, in plain view of their neighbours, and very publicly. Kosa was beaten to death just a month and a bit after COVID-19 had arrived in South Africa and his death served as a reminder of our humanity. It sparked outrage among South Africans who demanded to be treated like citizens and not prisoners.
After an investigation, the military ombud found that the soldiers acted improperly, irregularly and in contravention of their code of conduct. The ombud later recommended that the soldiers face appropriate disciplinary action. An earlier report though by Sanef had exonerated the soldiers. This brought to light the brutality in which lockdown restrictions were being enforced and as a result we saw the softening of law enforcement. Unfortunately, the death of Collins Corsa was not our only COVID-19 scandal. We also faced the daunting task of dealing with fraud and corruption while trying to acquire life-saving PPE. We dealt with companies being brought to book for price fixing of essential products like masks. And we also saw mass gatherings in December bringing about a second wave of infections. Then of course, we had to face the new variant which disrupted our vaccine rollout process. All in all, it was a brutal year. But as a whole, we can be proud to say we overcame. One year on and today we take the time to remember. We remember every pay cut, every job loss. We remember the industries that are still struggling to stay afloat, such as hospitality. We remember the essential workers who sacrificed for us. We remember every positive patient, every recovered patient, and yes, every death. It's been a hard year, but the outlook today seems much brighter than it did a year ago. Despite all of the initial hiccups, South Africa has now begun its vaccine rollout and it seems to be going very well. On the 17th of February, Labour Ward sister Zoliswa Giridiosi became the first healthcare worker in South Africa to receive a COVID-19 vaccine. She was injected with the Johnson & Johnson vaccination at Kaya District Hospital in the Western Cape, watched by Health Ministers William Kize and Western Cape Health MEC Norma French Mbombo. Mkize and President Cyril Ramaphosa were then vaccinated alongside 16 health workers. Thank you, sister. Thank you. I, I also survived you. Oh, you are now being vaccinated. Yes, I'm going to get my one It's not so painful. President Ramaphosa addressed the small crowd of healthcare workers and journalists after he had received the vaccine. I've just had my vaccination and I must say that uh, first I was a bit terrified of this long needle that was going to be embedded into my arm but it happened so quickly, so easily, it was just a prick on my flesh and I really did not feel much pain. This day represents a real milestone for us as South Africans that finally the vaccines are here and they are being administered. And I was rather pleased that there were five people who were vaccinated before me and they are health workers. And it was uh, 
a joy to watch them to see whether anything had happened to them and gladly nothing had happened to them and uh, it means that being vaccinated is a fairly straightforward process and I'd like to invite South Africans to take this up so that we can all be safe, we can all be healthy. Now this is really a milestone as I said for our country and uh, we are going to be rolling out this vaccine uh, throughout the country. It's already started in a number of health centers. And I think it's going to be flawless. I think it's going to be done effectively. And as we get more and more of these vaccines, as the minister brings them in, I think we will be able to vaccinate up to the 40 million South Africans that we should. This historic milestone comes after the first batch of 80,000 doses of the Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine arrived in Johannesburg the night before on the 16th of February. Mkize said 164 vaccinators would vaccinate around 48 clients a day, or about six an hour. As many as 380,000 health workers registered for COVID-19 jabs in the past two weeks alone. While this initial consignment of Johnson & Johnson vaccines is not nearly enough to ensure herd immunity across the country, Mkhize assures South Africa that an additional 500,000 doses are expected to arrive over the next four weeks, which he says will be supplemented by 20 million doses of the Pfizer vaccine that are also expected to arrive at the end of March. He said the country has secured enough doses to vaccinate all the people who will need to be vaccinated in South Africa. South Africa became the first country to administer the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. The country is also among nine African countries currently vaccinating its populations. The rollout of vaccinations globally provides hope that the world might be able to establish a new kind of stability. A stability driven by frontline workers who have put themselves in harm's way. And to them, we say thank you. On behalf of the nation, I would also like to thank the health workers of our country, our doctors, nurses, and paramedics who are on the front line of the pandemic, as well as our teachers, border officials, police and traffic officers, and all other people who have been leading our response. So as we inch into our second year of COVID-19, we do so with renewed optimism, but also having learned several very important lessons. For Boots on the Ground, behind South Africa's national headlines, a production of Multimedia Live, I am Paige Muller. You are listening to Boots on the Ground, behind SA's national lockdown. Boots on the Ground is a short podcast series documenting South Africa's national lockdown as a result of the outbreak of COVID-19. Boots on the Ground is a true piece of mobile journalism. All interviews, voices and sound effects have been gathered using nothing but smartphones. Boots on the Ground is a production of Multimedia Live, a division of Arena Holdings. Narration done by Samar Lutuli. Audio gathered by Graham Hoskin and Alex Patrick. Sound design and editing by Paige Muller. Production by Multimedia Head Scott Peter Smith. To catch the next episode of Boots on the Ground for free, please subscribe to the podcast on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.